This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. On today's show, we are talking with the wonderful Joanne Isbister, who is a certified genetic counsellor at the Genomics Medicine and Familial Cancer Clinic at the Royal Melbourne Hospital here in Australia. Jo completed a Bachelor in Medical Science at La Trobe University and then went on to complete postgraduate studies in genetic counselling from the University of Melbourne. Jo has over 15 years' experience as a genetic counsellor with clinical experience in the fields of perinatal, paediatric and adult genetics. In 2021, she completed the Summer School in Brain Disorders course offered by the MRC Centre for Neuropsychiatric Genetic and Genomic Centre at Cardiff University, which led to her published study exploring Australian genetic counsellors' experience and attitudes towards psychiatric genetic counselling in the Journal of Genetic Counselling in 2022. Identifying a significant gap in local services, Joe is developing a clinical service at the RMH to meet the needs of psychiatric genetic medicine and ultimately will like to see individuals and their families receive equitable access to expert psychiatric genetic counselling and services here in Australia. Today, you'll hear us talking with Joe about the role of genetic counselling in the psychiatric space. We talk about what genetic counselling is, the implications of shame and stigma, and the complex questions that patients with mental health histories sit with. Jo is a really passionate clinician, and you are going to love hearing about how you can weave this into your practice. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we've got a very special guest with us, Jo Isbista, Clinical Genetic Counselor from the Royal Melbourne Genomic Medicine and Familial Cancer Centre. Welcome, Jo. Thank you. So happy to be here. Jo, you and I have known each other for a little while now just through some of the work, the joints that we've been doing together between um, myself and your team. Celine, you and Jo are just meeting today. (laughs) Yes, but I've heard lots about Jo and all the wonderful work that you guys have been doing for the team. Sounds really interesting. And I'm really, really keen to share this discussion with our listeners today because they'll get to learn so much about it and we'll get to learn a little bit more about it too, which will be really good. Look, I agree. I think that this is going to be really interesting, Joe. because I look, I find what you do and your, what your team does really exciting and interesting and incredibly important. I'm always so impressed when I hear about the work that you're doing. Look, I'm not even sure a lot of people know what genetic counseling is, so we'll get into that. But I think for those who do know about genetic counseling, think about it much more in the medical space rather than the mental health space. And I know you've been doing some incredibly progressive work here in Australia to bring some of the work that they're doing overseas here, which is really exciting. So fantastic to be able to talk to you and understand it more and and how this could relate to OCD space and the mental health space in general. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's really exciting and I'm really grateful to have this opportunity to be able to share and contribute to this space. Well, I think the place for us to start is just, look, honestly, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your career and how you ended up landing in the genetic counselling space. 
So as you mentioned, I'm a clinical genetic counsellor working at the Royal Melbourne Hospital in the genomic medicine space. So it's a public hospital and prior to that, I worked in the paediatric and prenatal genetic space and then transferred over into kind of this adult genetic space nearly five years ago. When I transferred across, I noticed there was this really big gap in services for patients with mental illness and their families. And in fact, what we noticed is that weren't really meeting the needs of individuals living with mental illness. And I wasn't particularly comfortable with that. And that gap was kind of widening and the stigma associated with mental illness was avert. And the more I kind of considered this space, the more I noticed that referrals for psychiatric illness in genomic medicine were infrequent. They weren't common and specialist clinics here in Australia were lacking and services weren't accepting these kinds of referrals. And so I guess that kind of got me interested more in the space of understanding what we are doing here in Australia for individuals with psychiatric illness and their families and that kind of prompted me to do a bit more research and, and I guess get an understanding about what this looks like here for families. So yeah, so that's kind of how I landed in the psychiatric space. But genetic counselling itself, you know, I've been practising for nearly 20 years. I completed my course through Melbourne Uni and I was able to, like I said, work in kind of this paediatric and prenatal space in kind of the public setting. And it's a fascinating area of genetic counselling. It's an area where we are helping families and individuals understand that information about risk and education about their genetic conditions, but also helping them adapt to their condition and what that means for them and their family. I think that's such interesting work and amazing that you were able to identify that gap because it is something that so many people can benefit from. And if we can keep spreading the word about it, then the more people can actually access that information and be able to determine, correct me if I'm wrong, if something is going to be impactful for them or work through their own family history and kind of go from there and and be able to have those conversations with a genetic counsellor? Like, am I on the right track with that in terms of what that means for people in terms of the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So it's providing, I guess, an opportunity for individuals to understand the cause of, of mental illness and to understand what the contributing factors are. We know that family history will always play a part in someone's vulnerability to developing a psychiatric illness that's not saying that mental illness or psychiatric illness is not inherited, but we inherit a vulnerability to developing potentially a psychiatric illness in the future. And so being able to sit with patients and explain that there is a genetic vulnerability that that is based, you know, off what is happening in a family, but also there are environmental vulnerability factors that contribute to that as well. So being able to sit with patients and give them an opportunity to understand what that looks like and to understand that it's not their fault, it's not something that they have done or that they caused to happen. And it can be really powerful in how they adjust to their illness. And there's a lot of research that's come from overseas that has shown the benefits of being able to sit with patients and explain this and and give them an opportunity to hear this information and adapt to this information. And it's a really interesting space when you are counselling in this area. 
Absolutely. I imagine going through a lot of the environmental factors would be one of the bigger parts of the conversation. If I'm remembering my statistics correctly, I think with OCD in particular, that it could be up to 50% of it could be a genetic link in terms of if there's a strong family history of OCD that can impact as well, as well as, of course, the environmental factors. Because you could have a genetic predisposition, but not necessarily end up experiencing symptoms of OCD as well, or any other condition for that matter. I think environmental factors play a huge role. They do, yeah. We kind of describe it is using this jar model of mental illness. I'm not sure if this is something you've come across, but Janine Austin and and her group over at the ADAPT Clinic in Vancouver, they are the only psychiatric genetic clinic that's been established worldwide. But they developed this model where it shows, I guess, visually how the genetic factors contribute to the jar. So these genetic vulnerability factors, they contribute so much to the jars. So Perhaps your jar might be half full, my jar might be three quarters full, for example. And then as we go on through life, we have different environmental vulnerability factors that contribute to that jar. And it's not until that jar is full that we see like an active episode of illness. And so explaining that and understanding that, it's then thinking and speaking with patients about, well, what are the environmental factors that might contribute to the jar and what can we do to, I guess, stack that jar a bit taller with the protective factors so that if those environmental factors come in, that jar is tall enough so that hopefully that episode of illness is less likely to occur. So I wonder if you could talk us a little bit through what engaging with a genetic counsellor looks like, what the role is? Because I think what I'm really curious about is not only what the role of the genetic counsellor is, but also how that weaves in. Because I think when people think about psychiatric care, they're thinking psychiatrists, psychologists, counsellors, GPs. And that makes me think, well, where, this is important, but where does it fit? How does it weave in if we as clinicians How can we have those conversations with clients as well to get them linked in, that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I wonder maybe if we start at the beginning, just thinking about, because I I think there'll be a lot of people listening who actually aren't familiar with what even a genetic counsellor does in the medical space, let alone in the psychiatric space. Could you talk us through that? From a psychiatry point of view, thinking from a holistic perspective that we might receive referrals from psychiatrists or a psychologist for patients who have questions about their cause of illness. Some referrals may be for consideration of genetic testing. And that's something that's really important to, I guess, touch on is that there isn't a single genetic test that we offer in this space for psychiatric illness. You know, if a patient presents with symptoms that may be suggestive of a syndrome that includes a psychiatric presentation, then that's where genetic testing may be helpful for an individual. Can you give us an example? So a condition that commonly is associated with psychiatric illness is the George syndrome or 22Q syndrome. So that's a condition that has a really high incidence of schizophrenia. So about 80% of patients with the George syndrome will present with psychiatric manifestations. So that would be one condition that we would commonly test for in this space. But as it is at the moment, genetic testing isn't routinely offered and it isn't the focus of a genetic counselling for psychiatry. We still don't fully have all the answers in regards to 
what genetic factors are contributing to psychiatric illness. I think it's a really interesting space. And I think as time goes on, we're finding more genes that are of interest and potentially are contributing to someone's jar being, you know, their genetic vulnerabilities. And that will be a space within itself that will be really interesting because it could potentially have implications for medication and precision medicine and thinking about testing to work out what is going to be the best medication to offer a patient. So that's kind of one space where genetic counselling or what genetic counselling can offer, but also acknowledging the limitations in psychiatry that we don't have one genetic test that we routinely offer. But otherwise, the main question or the main reason for referral will be around individuals wanting to understand their risk and wanting to understand what the chances are that this might happen to them in the future and and kind of giving them that information. And it can be really interesting what people believe and what the stories that are within families. And sometimes it's about debunking some of those myths and those misconceptions that might be held in the family around kind of their heritability and, and who potentially is at risk for a condition. I think that's really important because, Tori, I don't know about you, but how many times in the work that I do, I often see clients really worried that they're going to end up with similar experiences that their parents went through because it was hard for them as children growing up and what they went through as children and it was really challenging. And so it's, well, am I going to have the same outcomes and what would that mean for me and my future or my own family or I don't want to put my kids through that, you know, that kind of stuff. And so those I think probably times as a clinician, if you're hearing those sorts of things of going, well, actually, you can explore this if you really want to and kind of initiate a referral and go from there. I think the other conversation that I hear that I have with clients is about family planning, about the fear of passing on their difficulties to kids and trying to make a decision about whether they should have kids or not and feeling really predicting a sense of guilt and shame should their child develop difficulties that sense of responsibility really kicks in, doesn't it? Yeah. And I've definitely had patients where that will be a reason that they don't have children. They will say to you that I actually decided not to have children because I could not think of anything more disastrous than potentially passing this on to another generation. And and yeah, that's really, I guess, shocking to hear that. There's not many conditions where one has that level of guilt, I guess, about passing it on and what that looks like. And especially we're talking about conditions that there's, like we said, those genetic, but also those environmental factors. So for someone who's lived a life with mental illness, you know, we would hope that they have some really good supports and protective strategies around them so that they may be things that they could pass on to their next generation and being able to kind of have a safety net around their family and their children to potentially protect them. And, you know, if there are some early warning signs like linking in with a psychologist, linking in with a psychiatrist and having that level of awareness to be able to, you know, identify if things are not looking good for them. You just mentioned shame and stigma earlier in our conversation. In the medical space, do you see people worry as much about passing, you're thinking about family planning? How does that compare to the psychiatric space? I'm just wondering about the stigma attached to mental illness and whether that is still playing in the the sort of sense of shame that I have this illness and I shouldn't have it. People shouldn't have mental health difficulties and therefore I have to prevent someone else from experiencing this shameful thing. 
I think stigma for mental illness, it's there. It's one of those things that we see so frequently. In fact, you know, I think in some instances, we don't probably really hear from patients enough that have these kinds of conditions in that they're not forthcoming because they're worried that, you know, we might discriminate against them because they have this particular history or they worry that it might impact if we offer a particular test thinking out the psychiatric space. So yeah, I think there's a lot of worry and blame from parents in regards to potentially passing on this condition that in a society isn't really spoken about and isn't really acceptable. I do think there is that added level which contributes to all of those feelings around, you know, stigma with mental illness. I know in the work that I do, I often see like, you know, working with women in particular who haven't had children and then fall pregnant and then their kids often worry about not so much passing it on genetically. Yes, that's a part of it, but also like we talked about environmentally, like what if they observe my behaviours and what does that mean for my child? And what if they end up with OCD as well or whatever other condition it might be? And the conversations we often have are, like you said before, all the protective factors in terms of your awareness is different to what your parents' awareness would have been, to knowing that you've got wonderful strategies in place that you can kind of help and where to seek help from and all those kinds of things. So I really love that idea of which can help, like Tori was saying, in terms of managing that stigma and all the rest of it, it can kind of help buffer that a little bit to be able to have those conversations and to be able to know that there's someone that they can go to to continue those discussions if they were to engage in genetic counselling as well to help with that process because I think it's incredibly sad. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a choice, right? You can choose to have kids or not or whatever else it might be or to find out what it is for your own future. But I think if fear is playing into that decision-making and really having a loud voice, that makes it a lot harder to make a decision as that's not based in fear, if that makes sense. So it's, it's nice to know that there's a space that people can go to be able to have those discussions and not make decisions out of fear or stigma for that matter. Mm-hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> so how do we as clinicians support our clients with this? Are these conversations that we can be having, what would the threshold be to refer off for genetic counselling? How do we make that decision with our clients? Anyone is eligible to have a referral to psychiatric genetic counselling. So there isn't a threshold, there isn't a minimum. So anyone who has a personal or family history can be referred to have this conversation. I think if these questions around recurrence and why did this happen, how did this happen, those kinds of conversations keep coming up in the clinical space, then I think that is a good sign that a referral would be appropriate for a genetic counsellor. And it's not to replace the therapeutic work that is happening within the space with a psychologist or psychiatrist. It is really about supporting that and giving that further opportunity for discussion around what it means and what they can do to protect potentially their mental health in the future and for those who also they love their loved ones as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about how genetic counselling can be used to inform medication and the type of medication someone could potentially be on? Yeah, because so many people are like, I wish there was a blood test because they feel like being a guinea pig sometimes in terms of trial and error in the psychiatric space. 
Or that it's just all too general and non-specific and yeah. Pharmacogenomics is a really interesting space. So that is where we are using genetic testing to understand the medications that's going to have the best outcome with the least side effects, essentially. So pharmacogenomics is a growing field. At this current point, we don't have a test that we can offer through our public services. With that being said, there are certainly private laboratories here in Victoria and overseas who are offering pharmacogenomic testing. The difficulty with the testing is sometimes the results aren't always easy to interpret. And knowing who can interpret the results and how to interpret the results can be really difficult. And if someone was undergoing pharmacogenomics, I would be very cautious in how we receive those results and what those results mean for an individual. I think in the next decade, it'll be a different conversation. I think that this will be something that, you know, is probably used routinely as part of clinical care. But as it is right now, I I don't think it is the silver bullet or the golden ticket to answering all those questions. I think with time, it will be something that we will see happening more. That is really cool. Because I think at the minute, the only thing that some psych, not all psychiatrists use this based on the feedback I get from clients, some do, in that they order a blood test just to see how they metabolize different medicines to kind of help make that decision. But they'll also ask, is there a family history of OCD and what medications have they been on and what side effects have they experienced? So they'll kind of ask about different family members and use that as like a starting point, thinking, okay, if they're metabolizing it well, then perhaps you might too, and kind of go from there to help narrow it down a little bit. But it's still a little bit of, there's still that science involved, isn't there, in terms of just kind of seeing, because like, I often think we're in 2023, surely this should be a lot easier by now. (laughs) Because, you know, medicine has, and science has advanced so beautifully in so many other areas, but psychiatry isn't black and white. There's so much variability involved. So having this as well be amazing, kind of help inform those decisions. Absolutely. And if we look at other spaces, like the oncology space in genomics, we do see that they're using genetic testing to use target therapies. So for certain types of breast or ovarian cancer, If we know that someone has a particular mutation, we can offer or tailor the treatment for their cancer. So it's, I guess, psychiatry as always is behind. um, And that's probably reflective of all of those things we mentioned before around the stigma of mental health, the funding for mental health. But I'm hopeful, you know, and I think this will change. I think this space will change in time. It needs to change. It needs to change. (laughs) It needs to change. Which is what your clinic's about, isn't it? It's being part of that change. It's modernising psychiatric care. Mm-hmm. And it's it's happening overseas. You know, there are clinics overseas that are offering this. And, you know, I think it's just a little bit behind, but we're scrambling to catch up and to offer these services because these families deserve this. They deserve the opportunity to be able to ask these questions and to have that space to understand this better for them. If the federal or state health minister is listening, to this, I'm like, I pay this more funding. Uh, it's always funding. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. Joe, we've got a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests as we wrap up. The first one being, what is something that you know now that you wish you had known earlier in your career? 
Well, that's a good question. I wish that I'd known that it was okay to think outside the box, to be able to think critically and that it's okay not to fit into the mold. I think when I first started, you know, I was young and I tried so hard to just fit into what it was and what was expected of a genetic counsellor working in Australia. And over time, I've learned that it's okay to challenge that role and to challenge our understanding and our perception. And that's what leads to growth in our profession. And it's okay not to fit in the box. I think that would be my what I wish I'd known back then. <laughs> I can relate to that as well. I know that um, I was a very dutiful, obedient psychologist at the very beginning of my career. I took the words of my seniors as gospel, which I think, you know, is a safe place to start. But certainly I, I didn't necessarily trust my own instincts and it took me a long time to shake it and to find a more genuine way of working that really reflected me and my style and my, so that I could be a more authentic practitioner, which actually has allowed me, yeah, to expand, to think outside the box, to weave ideas together and to own my ideas rather than, um, just it being sort of a mimicry. It took me a while to get there. I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah, we're all about breaking the rules. And And I think as well in a profession that's relatively new, genetic counselling hasn't been around for a long time. So we're still kind of in our our foundation years. We're kind of in the, you know, the teenage kind of rebellious stage. Like, (laughs) you know, it's okay. Like, you know. Yeah. And it's a wonderful space to be creative in because you need to explore and look for answers and it's the perfect space to do it in. Mm -hmm. Something else we often ask our guests is if they were willing to share any intrusive thoughts that they might experience because a lot of our clients experience intrusive thoughts and different obsessions and all that sort of stuff. And we're trying to normalize that experience in terms of going, we all experience random intrusive thoughts that can be fleeting. Some can pop up more often and all that sort of stuff. Would you be willing to share an intrusive thought if you experience any? I think, you know, intrusive thoughts just part of life. They're things that we all experience. I would think my intrusive thoughts probably centered around kind of my professional role and questioning my own capacity to do certain tasks. I've definitely had intrusive thoughts and moments where I'm about to do a presentation or something, just having this image of myself just vomiting, you know, all over the stage and kind of, you know, (laughs) really just unhelpful things when you're about to walk on stage and present in front of hundreds of people. Um, But I think it's more about what you do with that stuff, right? It's about saying, well, that was a weird thought and that's not going to happen. So um, Mm. (laughs) interesting to reflect on though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What a wonderful Mm. and informative conversation we've had today in terms of how genetic counselling can help in the mental health space. As you mentioned, there's certainly room for grow, but there's just so much that we can do with it. And there's absolutely room for it in our conversations with our own clients for them to explore because these questions do come up and I'm often left scratching my head going, what can we do with this? Like what else can we add to help with this conversation and to continue this conversation rather than just go, oh yeah, it's a bit of this and a bit of that. And we don't really have the answers right now. And then just kind of leave it at that. So it's nice to know that there's something that people can do and to help clients feel empowered to be able to continue those conversations rather than just kind of dismissing it and leaving a question mark still. 
So thank you. Thank you. And thank you again for the opportunity. This has been really great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Hopefully, as I mentioned before, if people are listening, (laughs) we need more funding in the mental health space for sure. I mean, in every area of mental health, but definitely it's something that will be so beneficial later down the track as well. Absolutely. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules.